Welcome back to another podcast here in the Rams Den. And today, my guest is Zach Elwood. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Hey, David. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. So, so Zach, you are an author and a podcaster, and you you focus at the moment. Your focus is well, it's always been human behavior, but at the moment, you're writing a book about the polarization of of the U.S. and um, which is which is very interesting to me. And and you know, the U.S. It's it sets the tone for a lot of other countries, right? So it's very important. What's going on in the U.S. right now is very important for for not just you guys, but for everybody else. So, very excited to have you here to get into that. And um, well, I said I wasn't going to tell people this, but I'm going to do it anyway. You're also the uh, co-founder of Elwood's Organic Dog Meat as well. It's an entirely different thing, but <laughs> so it's yeah. very co-founder. Cool to... But I should say it's 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 you know it's all my all my wife's thing. But we just yeah. thought of the idea together. Yeah. Well, we had a great interview, um, a great podcast the other week uh, with Molly. It was it was brilliant. Really, really well received. People absolutely loved it and and had a lot of crazy reactions. So that was really cool. Um, nice. but no, really cool that you guys put that together and, 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 you know, um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of vegans appreciate that work as, as we found out last a couple of weeks back with that, uh, podcast, but today, like I said, entirely different. So, um, before we get into, into this kind of what, what you're, you know, what you're writing now, right now and, and, you know, asking all the questions about that, let's learn a bit about you because this hasn't been, this is not really where you came from, is it? Um, you came from a very different um, background. So tell us a bit about your background and, and the kind of journey to this position where you're now writing this book about polarization. Yeah, it's a, it's a combination of things. Like I, I'm most well known for my work on poker tells, which is poker behavior. And I used mm. to play poker professionally. Uh, and that led to me writing these poker tells books and being well received. A lot of people say, the books and the, and the videos are the, are the best work on the subject out there. Mm-hmm. Um, sold a good amount of copies. My first books translated into eight languages. So then that led into, and I, and I've always had an interest in psychology. So between the poker and the psychology interest mm-hmm. that led to me doing my, uh, my behavior and psychology focused podcast, people who read people. Uh, and, and, and I'm, uh, I'm someone who's, politically liberal, more liberal leaning. And, uh, you know, part of my journey with this polarization work was, you know, starting, I started out really angry about Trump and angry at Trump supporters, you know, when, when Trump got elected and, and, mm-hmm. and to be, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm still, you know, I, I think Trump is a horribly divisive and bad person. Uh, but what, what, what changed in my journey was, uh, seeing the things that drove, uh, the conservative, uh, anger and concerns more than I did when I started out, you know, in 2016 or so. And mm-hmm. I started examining the way the, the, the narratives on that side and that led into me having interest in the polarization topics. And so I worked mm-hmm. in, started working in the polarization stuff into my podcast and my writings and, uh, trying to help people see, you know, that, uh, seeing other people's perspectives, is valuable no matter like what the endeavor is. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. it's valuable to see other people's perspectives because it reduces anger and uh, you know, a big part of it, the things driving our divides, not just the United States, but you know, across, you know, almost all countries have been polarizing since mm-hmm. 2005, you know, research shows. So a big part of lowering divides is, is just being able to see what drives the other side's concerns. And, and a lot of times it's very, we have a very distorted view of what they're actually you know, concerned about or what drive, you know, we can, we can strongly disagree with them while also seeing their perspectives. Got it. And, and, and yeah, I mean, you're, you're completely right about, it does feel like things have been getting worse and worse since, um, well, yeah, probably since like, I don't know, 2005, I suppose it is, um, I think for me, it feels like it was more, uh, especially the worst bits of it seem to have come up in the last five to six years. I feel like it's really come to a head. Um, you're talking about the left, you know, left, right divide or whatever liberal conservative divide. It's, it's also kind of expressing in, you've got these kind of, uh, I don't know, I, I call them kind of like Antifa type people, let's say not specifically Antifa, but, but of this, of that ilk. And then you've got the MAGA and the MAGA ilk. And they, they often accuse each other when actually the other one isn't, isn't the other one. If that makes sense, like the MAGAs was, Oh, you're an Antifa. And then, no, I'm not. And then Antifa's, you're a MAGA. No, I'm not. This is going on quite a lot. You've got the, um, 
you know, feminists and LGBT, and then you got what they're calling TERFs. It's like an insult now. And then this is going on. This is, you know, the feminist movement is going crazy with that. People all attacking each other. And even in the vegan world, which we're both in, you've got the, uh, I, 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 there's no really better word for this. I mean, uh, um, the kind of, I guess, woke or ideologue or ideologue uh, vegans, and they consistently attack those who they who they don't think fit into the, uh, are, you know, think are harmful or whatever. And then, and then those guys kind of fight back. And so it, it seems like across every group, almost there's some level of conflict going on. And it's kind of like we're more divided than, than we have, we've ever been, even though we're more connected, you know, we have more opportunities to connect yeah. than we've ever had. And we all hate each other the most we've ever done. At least there's no, mm -hmm. like, obviously there's no world war or anything. There's not quite that level, but socially, I mean, culturally, there's a lot of, hatred and division. So what, I mean, this is a big question for you now. Um, we're going to start big. How, how do you think we got here? Right. Is it, is it any one thing that you think is, oh, this is the thing that's done it or, or is it, or is, are there multiple, what do you think it is? Yeah. And I should, I should preface everything with, you know, the, the statement that I don't view myself as like, you know, the, 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 the expert on these things. It's more that I'm interested in these things. And like okay. part of my work has been trying to like compile different views across, you know, on, on these kinds of problems mm -hmm. and the people I interview give different perspectives on these kinds of problems. Uh, so I think, you know, and a big, a big part of it to me is a big part of the solution is, is even just seeing how, uh, people can have different views can reach different perspectives. And like, we often just, you know, like you're saying, we jump to these assumptions about what they're believing, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so all that's just to say, uh, be before I talk about the the causes as I see them, to say like, no matter what I say or what other people say, I think the important thing is seeing how there can be all these factors for like our mm -hmm. different narratives about stuff and our conflicts. It's like seeing how they these these other people can reach a different viewpoint is, is so important. But uh, mm -hmm. as far as like the the origins, I think there's a range of, of factors there. There's all these like feedback mechanisms at work um, mm -hmm. in uh, in Peter Coleman's book, uh, The Way Out, which Peter Coleman's a, a well-known um, conflict resolution, you know, peacekeeping kind of person. He talks about, you know, there's often this mistaken focus that we're going to find like these these magic bullets that, that that drive our divides. Right. Like whether it's social media or whether it's uh the news or, or, or whatever it is uh, but you know he talks about how you know it's more a much more complex thing of like there's just fundamental aspects of our human nature that play out in various ways you know we, we obviously throughout human history it's common for us to be in these conflicts right like we, we have a lot of a lot of war a lot of violence it's common for us to to come into these us versus them mentalities mm -hmm. and there's just various ways that that gets reinforced so so some of the ways you could see that being reinforced is you know uh just the the modern pro proliferation of viewpoints like it, not just social media but like the fracturing of the the digital uh tv landscape you know we used to just have a few channels that gave us the narratives right. and now we have like hundreds of channels and hundreds of places to get all these differing viewpoints and uh, there's just a and there's there's just a fundamental human tendency to form into these us versus them mentalities, right? Like we mm -hmm. we tend to we tend to be think about our group of whatever the group is, and we tend to like stereotype whatever the other group is about their beliefs. Uh, then there's like aspects of you know uh, modern life, like so modern life is more isolating, right? There's all this research and books about how we're more lonely than ever. We spend more time online there. We lack these social institutions. And so then you can see people instead of getting their meaning, their sense of meaning from like their local community and going out and doing things, they're, they're getting their sense of meaning by going online and getting in these big fights that are like national or, you know, the, the, the major political fights in their uh, cultural fights in their country. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you've got all these different ways people can be in these bubbles online, right? Like the social media bubbles and, yeah. you know, there's research showing how, you know, group polarization, you know, with like-minded people, the, the views grow more extreme, the, the more of a bubble they're in. Yeah. Uh, so you can just see all these like fundamental human nature things that, that lead to us, you know, fostering these, these, these angry us versus them 
mindsets. And, and my take is, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to escape this, but I think the, mm-hmm. the path out is, is more people just even recognizing that it is a fundamental human tendency and cutting people some slack, really, you know, it's like, even, mm-hmm. even the people I think are like the most divisive people. It's not a, it's not as simple as like, they're causing the divides. It's like the divides inside all of our, all of our minds mm-hmm. is what is, is what is giving those people power, right? Like they wouldn't have right. power if the divides weren't inside of a lot of us. Right. Uh, so it's a complex, yeah. it's a complex thing to solve. Right? Definitely. I think, I think I, I, adding to that as well, I like what you said about that people are finding their meaning from from the online space now and arguing and i think on top of that and it's probably very much intertwined with it it's, it's all all connected is a uh, I, I feel like when i was growing up and probably when you were growing up to to be recognized as someone who was good virtuous you had to be doing something good or virtuous like you'd have to go and volunteer for charity and come home and you tell everybody yeah volunteer for charity and everyone would go wow you're an amazing person well done and now that's not necessary anymore all you need to do to get that pat on the back is have a bio uh, has something in it, right? Like some words or flags. And then on, if you, okay, that's, that's step one, you get some virtue for that. People will pat you on the back or on top of that, start getting into some arguments and, and quoting some mantras, you know, of, of, it doesn't, this is not specifically a left or right thing. Every, every group has its mantras, right? So do some mantras, then you get the pat on the back again. You actually don't have to do anything. Actually, you don't have to leave the house. Mm really to do you can go order the food in you can get you know everything yeah. online uh yeah all your all your virtuous stuff is here now like you don't have to actually do anything and even if you wanted to be virtuous i mean that's donating to charity that in itself can also become a thing you post about so even if you do mm-hmm. do something good you know it's so yeah you're, you're totally right um and it is yeah, do you think that. that is connected do you think that is connected with what you said about people finding their meaning online and part of the reason yeah. for this yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, Ezra Klein in his book, Why We're Polarized, I mean, one of the things he wraps up with, and for the record, I think his his book wasn't good because I think it failed to take into account how a lot of the things he talked about were present on the liberal side too. And that's one of the things mm-hmm. I'm working on with my my book is is examining those things on the liberal side. Uh, but the, yeah, one of the things he wraps up that that book with, which I agree with, is like there's, there's so, so much this focus on like, being online and being aware of things. And like, we take it for granted that like, Oh, just being aware of something and, and being angry about it or, or, you know, just, just being aware of what's going on is like, mm-hmm. makes us a good citizen or makes us a good right. person or something. But it's like, you know, his recommendation is, you know, go out and do something local. Like, you know, do, if you care about a cause, go out and do something locally. We need to start focusing more on our communities and less on these, you know, cause how, how is me getting angry about something or, or even trying to convince people of something on a national level, some big scale level, how is that really changing anything, right? Mm. Uh, you'd, you'd, you'd be hard pressed to try to change something on a national level. The only real way you're going to get traction is, is trying to focus on some community thing. Mm. Uh, and, and I think there is, you know, there, there is a great book too uh, that I interviewed the author from my podcast. It's called uh, Why It's Okay to Ignore Politics, which you know, that triggers a lot of people that idea yeah. on the, on both the right and the left. Cause we, we tend to have this assumption that like just being aware of all the things is like doing something, but he, mm-hmm. you know, he, and he's a, uh, he's a political uh, philosopher and pokes holes in a lot of these assumptions we have. It's like, is it, you know, am, am I doing more good for the world by, you know, spending hours a week getting angry about various things and posting about various things, or am I doing more good by, going out and helping with some mm-hmm. cause in my community, you know, so he, he really pokes some of the holes in, in those ideas. And I think we are just much too focused on, you know, we tend to, yeah, like you say, we tend to think that we're accomplishing something. I, I tend to think like most people who think that, you know, most people on Twitter, for example, I think mm-hmm. most people on Twitter who spend a lot of time just posting angry takes are mm-hmm. actually doing a net negative for the world. Like I think right. they're, they're, they are not helping in any, way I can see. And I think they, they tend to operate with an assumption on both sides. Like I'm doing something, you know, but Mm. I think we, I think we should question our, we should be skeptical about our beliefs about like what's good or what, what's helping and what's not helping and how, you know, how much of this stuff is just adding to our divides by riling up anger and actually helping the, the create the very things that you're angry about, you know, that's a good point. And I want to touch on the thing you said there about the, like the perspective of of uh, or the perception of 
when that we're doing good if we are online and if we're not online then we can't do good it feels like this is kind of what a lot of people have fallen into and it's probably causing some of this and there's a great example of that within the uh the vegan world actually which i don't know i don't know how into it you are like i don't know in the activism side of things but there there have been this has been an issue for years and years since i've been doing this for like i don't know since 2017 and the issue's always been that the most well-known vegans and, and the activism space are like Earthling Ged, Joey Carbstrong, um, and James Aspie um, at one point, and Gary Yurovsky. These are all kind of big names, like you know, millions of, of social media views and blah, 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 and all that stuff. And then um, people start having these hot takes, like, oh, why is it all white men? Only white men are represented in veganism. And it's like, no, 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 that's not true. They're just the ones that are famous online. On the ground, an activist world on the ground, people actually doing activism. It's like it's it's eighty percent women, by like that. Then that's it's probably more than that. And it's just because they're not famous, it doesn't mean that that they don't represent you know vegans, right? It's just that they didn't get famous on social media. Social media isn't the world. It's actually far more important. They are doing far more important work than, in my opinion, all the most famous vegans all put together. In my opinion, right? It's it's mm -hmm. what they do on the ground is is harder. It's more important. They get less um, thanks for it. They get less funding for it. That they're, they're doing the hardest stuff that you can even do. So this is a really mm -hmm. I think that's a good example to kind of express this. You know, really show this obsession with social media that people just they don't even acknowledge that, right? That it's 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 not it's not the world, you know? Yeah, I think we I think we do tend to treat social media as like vastly important. You know, right. on the on the political right and left in the U.S., it's like you can see this with like conservative people, you know, being like the government needs to force Twitter to be, mm -hmm. you know, embrace free speech and have minimal content regulation mm -hmm. because Twitter is so important. And, you know, similarly on, on the left, like you're saying, mm -hmm. it's like there can be this distorted thinking of like, look at these horrible things people are saying on Twitter that, you know, that this <laughs> represents the other side or, you know, when, when right, in actuality... Right, right. The people, the people saying the the worst things on social media are like a fraction, you know, a tiny fraction of mm. the entire group, right? But we, but we let these these uh, these takes, you know, influence our perception of like how the how the entire other side thinks, and definitely. Uh, so yeah, I think I think there is just you know the, the media, news media covers uh, social media takes as if it's news because it's easy to cover. It's like easier to cover social media stuff than it is to actually do a story and go out and find out, you know, what's that, the cut, the nuance of what's going on in the, in the yeah. outside world. So it's like, it's a shortcut to be like, Hey, here's some stuff people said online. So then we perceive, <laughs> we perceive that it's important. Right. But it's, it's, oh, just I've, not seen some, I've seen some brilliant stuff from that. Actually, there was this, uh, I think it was back in the euros, um, the football competition, the euros and England got knocked out and, uh, the penalty takers, the ones who missed the penalties were black. Right. So, um, obviously there was ripe ground for people to make horrible comments and jokes and whatnot about them being black and being the only ones who missed the penalties. Right. And, and some people made jokes and that's like, you know, comedians, all right, you know, it's not really whatever, right. Whatever. That's a whole other topic, but some people were very um, racist. They're actually horrible, made some horrible comments and the media did exactly what you said. There were hundreds of thousands of comments that were saying, thank you for all, all you tried. You did well guys, you know, we'll get the next one. There were there were maybe what a couple of couple of hundred probably maximum of nasty comments coming from alt accounts, fake accounts, your know, people who weren't putting their own. And the media, what did they focus on? Did they focus on the love? Of course, they didn't focus on the love. They picked out some random, no name, no face people's, you know, comments and said, "Oh, look at this racism," and then everyone's angry, and then it's a yeah. real it, it's it's really yeah and then yeah then they stoke it they stoke the flames don't they they keep they keep the division they, they call this a racial tension um and we see it over and over again don't we um, especially in the with the racial stuff the media loves getting people upset about uh, with you know racial tension they do it um, roughly every four years i've noticed especially in the usa they like to uh drum up this stuff um but um Yes, yeah, so, that's so, one of the, yeah, that's one of the things right. I want to. That's one of the things I want to examine, or I am examining mm -hmm. in my in my book is 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 showing uh, a liberal audience um, how how those things are perceived by rational and well-meaning people about mm -hmm. uh, how how the media can be a cause of our divisions, right? And mm -hmm. that that's not often focused on, but I think 
even if even if liberals will disagree with that, I think it's valuable to see that perspective and to spend time thinking about those perspectives. And I think that's I think that's what gets in the way of us, you know, having productive conversations. It's like we tend to if we feel if we feel like a topic is insulting or demeaning to our side or is or is mm-hmm. like somehow helping the other side, if we perceive that conversation is, you know, helping the other side or hurting us. Mm-hmm. We're, we should kind of shut down and like say there's nothing to talk about there. But, right. you know, at, at the very least, I think often with our divides on any specific issue, it is easily possible to see what drives the other side. And, and I think we need to do more of that. Right. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. vegan, veganism is a good example. You, you often have people that become vegan and then they're 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 the ones being the most angry at the omnivores when i'm like you were just you were just an omnivore like a month ago like you know, <laughs> maybe maybe you can remember what it was like and uh yeah totally. remember how it, the, the messages may have not reached you immediately you know uh so yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think i think it's it's uh, there seems to be a lack of this understanding that it's you can explain someone's behavior without saying it's okay that they behave that way and uh, the, the, right. there's a big miss here. People miss that. They like when you. I've had I've had a little bit from vegans myself, and I've like, this is why they do that, you know. And then they say, "Oh, you're trying to make excuses for them." Like, no, I'm telling you why they act how they act. The more you know about why they do what they do, the easier it's going to be for you, technically, uh, you know, theoretically, to uh to get to get that to change. But uh, yeah, people yeah. on the left left right spe- you know political spectrum on the far ends of it, let's say the, the more extreme ends of it. It, it seems that that's not an option. Um, I'll, I'll be totally honest with you, and I, I'll have to just be tell you the truth that I've seen way more of this coming from the liberal side. That they have, they're more um, intolerant, uh, and absolutely no interest at all in in listening to anyone they deem to be on the other side. Um, and I've seen far more from the other side where they say, "Come and sit with me and talk." And even though if that discussion is not useful, they still offer the opportunity. So come sit with me. We'll talk about it. But from the, unfortunately, the left liberal side, that, I mean, doesn't happen very often, um, if ever. And that's, it's, and it's, it, I don't know if you agree with that or if you don't want to say, you don't want to rile up people. <laughs> but no, um, that's, I, my, I was, that's my observation. Yeah, I'll give a take on that. I, I did want to focus on something you said that I think is very important. Mm. I, think, I think the, uh, the, it's, there can be a perception that even, trying to understand other people's perspectives is like saying that they have that they're that they're right or you're helping their <laughs> argument you know but yeah. like you say it's like we can attempt to understand other people and the and the motivations that and the factors that drive their behavior mm-hmm. while strongly disagreeing with it right it's like 100%. i can i can i can be cognizant of you know what drives an omnivore's arguments because i was omnivore even even after i was raised predominantly vegetarian, I became an omnivore for several years, uh, 15 years. And so like, I can understand why people don't care. Right. Uh, and, and now I, I think that, you know, and I, I can strongly disagree with that now that I'm, uh, almost entirely vegan. I'm like, I, I eat oysters occasionally. Uh, but, uh, which some people would still consider. I was going to say, yeah, anyway, some people, that's, a, that's a whole and, other debate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep going. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is I can, we can, we can see what it is that drives people's behavior while strongly disagreeing with it. But I think, mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, it's like, there is that feeling of like, if I give them a little bit of, you know, if I give them a little bit of credibility by acknowledging there's reasons then I'm helping them. Right. But I just mm-hmm. think, like you said, the, that's understanding other people not only reduces our anger at them, but actually helps you persuade them to your argument. Right. Like if you, if you come at them with these distorted ideas of what they believe, mm-hmm. you're just not going to reach them. Like, so it's what, however you want to use the understanding of people, whether you persuade them or depolarize it's, it's all the same. It's like, that's mm-hmm. how you, that's how you persuade people. Like it's how you change people. You know, you don't change them by uh, shaming them or calling them idiots or whatever. Uh, but yeah, to your, to your question about, uh, you know, social media, uh, liberal versus conservative. Uh, yeah, there, there's there's that problem on both sides. I think one one uh, one thing that might influence the thing I've seen on on Twitter, for example, or or, or uh, other social media, is that because you know I think we can acknowledge that they are liberal leaning, so that's why a lot of conservative people have left those uh, places. So I think what there there can be a dynamic of because we we perceive a lot of uh, of the most rude and, and horrible liberal people on Twitter that we can start to form this perception that like, you know, there, there, there's a much bigger problem 
mm-hmm. on the left. But like if you go into some of the places where a lot of uh, cons- far right conservative people congregate, you know, if a lot of those people were still on Twitter, for example, uh, you know, I think they're coming back because of Elon. Right. But, mm. uh, you know, I, I think there's the, there's a lot of people that don't want to uh, have respectful conversations on both sides. And I, mm-hmm. I don't have a, I don't have an opinion on, uh, you know, which which side is worse. I, and mm. I, I almost think it's unproductive to to think about it or even try to quantify it, because it's like sure. each side, each side is going to be able to create narratives about why the other side's worse. Right. And like, but, <laughs> yeah, but you know, I will say, I agree with you. There's a lot, there's a lot of people. I mean, I, I specifically know, I, I, I know in person influential people on Twitter and other social media who I think are mm-hmm. actively driving our divides. Right. And I've, okay. and I've called some of these people out and I think uh, you know, some, some of these, I, I think part of the solution is, is recognizing how the people on our side contribute to our divides and are contributing mm-hmm. to the very things that they're angry about, you know? And I think right. there's the, there can be this weird incentive on social media to, to draw attention to the insults we get from other people. Right. There's like, mm-hmm. there's people I know on the liberal side who will hold up these insults and be like, look what they said to me. And then they get a lot of love and a lot of likes, yeah, and a lot yeah, of attention yeah. and, and they rile up anger, but it's like, like you said, it's like you're responding to this random troll who, you know, does not at all reflect, you know, the the large majority of, you know, and in the same way that conservatives can hold up the horrible things said to them by a liberal mm-hmm. person and say, look what they said to me. And there's these, these incentives that both sides, people on both sides have because they get a bunch of attention for it. They, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I saw that point talked about in uh, uh, Gia Talentino's book, uh, it was about social media, something about the mirror, the book title, mm. but she, she talked about the kind of like the perverse incentives in, and she, she was talking about in the context of like Gamergate and how she could have easily held up like these examples of her getting abuse from all these random, horrible trolls, the DMS that she would get. And she's like mm. other people, you know, and other people do that. There's, there's an incentive to be like, look at these horrible things people said. Yeah. And, and, and it's almost like you have to make a conscious effort to not do that because you have to examine like, well, what, how, how exactly is this helping? Uh, am I just adding to our divides by acting as if mm. this is a meaningful, uh, you know, a meaningful or, or uh, often held viewpoint mm. from the other side, you know? So I, th- I think uh, a lot of this comes down to just questioning the things, the ways that we use social media mm. and, and questioning the ways that people who we support use social media and, and just speak generally. Yeah. And what, what could that not, I mean, I was thinking as you were talking about that, I know some some situations where that wouldn't be good, where like just posting like a <clears throat> some kind of hate mail or something would be bad. Um, but I can also think of some situations where it could be useful. Like, for example, I personally, I get some really silly uh, troll comments, not just the like, occasionally I get I get the threat or whatever, but most of the time it's just bad arguments. And I tend to post up these bad arguments and, and usually with a some kind of sarcastic reply or sometimes I just completely you know, ruin the argument. And the purpose of that is that I want other, and my, my aim is that my idea is that other meat eaters would see that and go, I don't want to be like that idiot. And then that brings them on my side. That's kind of my logic with this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with the left, right divide, is that, is that not potentially a way to like, for example, if someone's on the left side and then they show a, a terrible argument from a, someone sent them from the other side and they debunk it. I mean, um, would that, could that not potentially move somebody over a little bit more to their side? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it's it's all about the context. I think what you're mm. describing is is much more nuanced and like a okay. critical thinking kind of approach. And I, I was describing the people that are like, look at what these horrible conservatives think. You know, it's 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 much more. Oh. It's about the context of uh, of saying, can you can you believe these people? You know, it's like okay, okay, it, okay. It's it's more of like the yes. drumming up of the of the outrage versus I get like. It. I get you know, it completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's more like, it's focusing like a, on like the pure insults and the ad hominem stuff versus like a it. way of thinking, right? Yeah, that's what that's so, what I was going for. So if I just like if someone just put like something, I don't know, yeah, sent something to me about you know, fuck I, you, I, I, yeah, fuck you, I love eating meat, and I instead of me saying something sarcastic back and like you know, I just said like, oh, look how horrible these people are. Then well, every single meat eater is just going to be like, well, fuck you, bro. You yeah, I, I think mean? that's the dynamic. Yeah, right, I think that's right. often the, the dynamic. And I and I could I could I could pull out some examples just from from yesterday that I saw where it was like, look at the look at how horrible you know the look at how horrible these people are. Basically, this kind of yeah. framing, you know, that this yeah. this really shows us what's in the hearts of these people. You know, 
Uh, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I've got actually got a, well, I've got a situation going on right now. I wasn't going to mention, but I'll do it because it's relevant. Uh, where, um, because I interviewed Buck Angel, as I mentioned before we got on the recording, uh, I, I have some people right now, rather than engaging with the con- the conversation that happened between me and Buck Angel, they've gone straight for insults. So uh, wherever these people pop up, it's just, it's just straight into, look how ho- he's a horrible person. And it's bum, bum, bum. And it's not, there's no, there's no, there's no opportunity for discussion or debate around what was said. It's straight insult. So actually what we're talking about here, what you, the example you gave, I, that that's happening right now. So it's a great real life example. <laughs> well, yeah, I think we, skills, I, yeah. Yeah. I think we're often too afraid to have these conversations with, you know, people that might be offensive to people, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, but I, I would say, you know, I pre- actually, when I interviewed, uh, someone about for my podcast about anti-Semitism. We, you know, we talked about, uh, and he, he and he's kind of somebody who's you know sort of mixed uh, left and right. He's c- critical of a lot of things. Uh, mm-hmm. He's he's pro-Israel, and, and, and I prefaced that talk because I knew that you know some people might find, especially liberals, might find some of the things he said uh, offensive. I, I mm-hmm. prefaced the talk with the point to me in having these talks isn't even to you know, decide on what the right thing or, or the wrong thing is. The, the point mm-hmm. to me is by hearing different perspectives, you can understand people better, right? It's like right. whether I disagree, you know, I, I disagreed with that person on some things, for example, but it's like the point to me is I talking to him, I better understood the perspectives. Like I better understood right. the perspectives of like conservatives who think that liberal, you know, hysteria or, or liberal takes on anti-Semitism mm-hmm. can be hysterical uh, over, over exaggerated and why conservatives, you know, perceive, uh, Republicans as the more, uh, you know, uh, the, the less anti-Semitic group or, you know, these kinds of right. takes, basically, I, I had a better understanding of that talking to him. It doesn't mean right. I have to agree with everything, yeah. but it's yeah. uh, by seeing the perspectives, I'm able to have a more productive conversation. And it also lowers my anger because I'm like, okay, I can see what they're seeing, whether I re- agree mm-hmm. with it or not. But I think so often, mm-hmm. you know, like we were saying, it's like, there's this perception and like you're giving, you know, by even talking to them, you're, right. you're, you're agreeing with everything they say, or, right. you know, you're, and it's like, you know, and from the flip side, you know, if I went on Tucker Carlson to discuss these ideas, I'd probably get hate from some oh, liberals, but I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to, my, my point of view is I, I want to spread, you know, I want to have these conversations as much as possible. And I think the conversation is the productive part and not like 100%. they're reaching reaching the the right or the wrong answer right 100 percent, and uh, yeah it's 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 a completely backwards mentality that that somebody would tell you to not go on tucker carlson to not go on fox news or or for example in the vegan world someone would say don't go and be interviewed by piers morgan don't don't go on, on his show you know it's it's so backwards and another example of it is um with matt walsh who i don't know if you've you probably come across him yeah he's quite yeah. quite popular he did that documentary uh, the what is a woman documentary which has a num- loads of issues in it, but also raises some pretty valid questions and that didn't get answered. And no one will debate him on it. And and it's, I don't know if, I mean, it's not, it's not my fight, right? This, this whole fight. But if it were my fight, I would be begging to debate him. I would want to go and fight him because the same way I want to go and, and debate, the same way I debate meat eaters on my channel, the same way that this, this does happen, you know? Um, this the opportunity to to go on head to head with someone with such a big reach and and have your arguments heard by literally millions of people on a topic you are devoting your entire life to i don't i don't see how that can be a bad thing but but a lot of people really do see that as a bad thing i I really can't i can't i don't get it i I struggle to really understand that you know practically i suppose it's practical reasons maybe if it's like oh you know i don't know can't get there or whatever and you know something practical or or um it's not worth your time, maybe if they're not that famous or or it's it, clear they're just going to troll you. Right? These are good reasons to be fair, right? But uh, that's not the impression I get with him and with lots of other people who are just openly asking, "Come and debate me," and we'll you know we'll be reasonable, right? Yeah. For on, on that topic specifically, mm. some people might enjoy an episode I did on transgender and gender identity uh, topics. I did that for my podcast. It was like a year plus ago. Uh, okay. But yeah, the, the goal with that for me was I interviewed a detransitioned de- uh, person and we, you know, my, my goal was examining, I wanted to, I wanted to show a liberal audience, a 
a persuasive viewing of like what the concerns are from, you know, well-meaning and rational people, which I think just does not get much of a, of a, of a hearing, you know, it's like, we no. sort of like, sort of like <laughs> we were saying, it's like, we tend to stereotype them as like, they're like the worst people over there, right? They're, it's all about mm. bigotry or hate, but it's like, we can pr- pretty clearly see what the, you know, rational reasons, even if we disagree with them, we can mm-hmm. see the rational reasons for what these concerns are. And, and they're pretty mm-hmm. easy to list, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then, then we can have that debate by focusing on what their well-meaning concerns are and not stereotype mm-hmm. them as all like the, the worst people in that group, right? But I think, right. like you were saying, there's often this view that, um, there's often this view that, and I think a lot of people just haven't thought through these things because they, they, they see that, you know, they see the, the people on any side of an issue on the other side of an issue mm-hmm. as representing uh, bigotry or representing, you know, by, t- by a- engaging with their ideas, they will be harming people on their side right. or, 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 or right. a, a, an oppressed group or whatever. Uh, so I think there's often just this feeling of like, A, I might be harming a group that I, that I care about or B, I'm going to get a lot of flack from people uh, for, <laughs> sure, for yeah. even engaging in these things. So I think, you know, mm-hmm. on both sides, I think there's these, these uh, understandable pressures. I mean, when you get down mm-hmm. to a lot of, it's just about peer pressure, right? It's like the same, right. the same dynamics mm-hmm. that play out anywhere with humans. It's just these various forms of peer pressure or, or stereotyping. Uh, mm-hmm. And we, and we feel like we can't have these debates and, you know, like similar to you, I've got, I've gotten flack for, for diving into these issues. And, and, and I think people, mm-hmm people sometimes assume that I, I have certain views that I don't because they're like, well, yep. why would you cover that topic? And my, the reason I covered it is because it's not talked about, you know, it's not yeah. like I, I have a strong opinion one way or the other on a lot of these topics I talk about, but I do feel like if we care about depolarization and healing or divides, like somebody, more people have to do the hard work of examining like what the source of our divides are. And in order to mm-hmm. do that, we have to go through some of these, tough issues and and acknowledge that, you know, we can have distorted and uh, us versus them viewpoints that that just aren't justified a lot of times. Yeah, definitely. And and I've, I've noticed that when people do what you're doing and to a lesser extent, I, I do somewhat a little bit of this as well. People tend to misinterpret what I do as also like one completely one side. I've been accused of being some um, far right and I've been called Nazi for entertaining certain, you know, just discussing ideas, not, not even saying, I believe ideas, just listening to what somebody has to say, apparently you're a Nazi or whatever. And then if you, if you say what you're saying, like, okay, but we need to come and we need to meet somewhere. We need to learn. We need to try to understand. Often what I hear people say is, well, that you're a coward. Take a side. Uh, <laughs> being indifferent is violence. Your indifference is violence. You're a coward. Um, have you had that yourself? Yeah, I think uh, a good a good uh, a good talk for that that I did on my podcast was pretty recently. Yeah. I talked to a well known conflict resolution specialist, Guy okay. Burgess, and uh, he had written actually about you know him him and his wife do a lot of conflict resolution work, and they had written about their you know basically their frustration with a lot of uh, liberal leaning conflict resolution people and peacekeeping mm-hmm. kind of people. Because, you know, as you'd expect, a lot of those people are, most of those people are, are, are politically liberal. And uh, I think the, yeah, the, there can be these quotes of like, this kind of narrative of like, uh, there's like a Desmond Tutu quote that goes something like, you know, if you, uh, if you remain objective when a mouse, when an elephant is stepping on a, on a mouse, then you're helping the elephant or something, you know, something like that, yeah, where yeah. implying that, like, trying to, trying to like hand wave and say that, by trying to be objective and, and trying to, to even do the work of bridge building or, or conflict mm-hmm. resolution that you are helping the, the oppressors, however that the oppressor is phrased in that context. But I think the, yeah. you know, and for people interested in that, uh, I, I'd recommend listening to that talk, but I think the long story short is, you know, it, that, that, that like hand weighs over a lot of complexity and nuance in these topics. For example, like, you know, there's people, there's liberal people, even, even amongst the liberal framings of like what constitutes harm or oppression, there can be disagreements on that side and, and like criticisms of those framings. And, and there's people that can, you know, just well-meaning and rational people can disagree on a lot of these topics of, mm-hmm. you know, how exactly to define these various problems, how to solve them. So if we can see that, they, we, they, we can see that it's not just a clear case of like, 
you're by by even having the debate, you're helping one side or the other. You know, I, I think yeah. that. But but I think a lot of that is is emotionally driven, right? It's like the the us versus them feeling of like yeah. I perceive I perceive harm, and by and by engaging with who I view as the harm makers, you are helping the harm makers. But I, I think we just and then and then even past that, I think we also even if we believe that's true, we have to face the reality that mm-hmm. we live in a we live in a world with other people who can believe vastly different things from us. I mean that that much is clear. Like even for the most simplest like moral problems like the trolley problem for example like do you pull some uh, do you do you divert a train to kill one person when the train is heading for five people right like that mm-hmm. people will argue over that all day long yeah. and that's like the simplest when all the information is on the table and you know we can clearly reach all these different perspectives on these you know that and that, all that stuff the, the trolley problems all on the surface and, and all the information is known mm-hmm. and we still can have such drastic uh differences in a in opinion on that and then you take like yeah. these complex problems in the real world where we don't even know you know it's hard for us sometimes to even define what the causes are or what even the problem is or what the harm is being done mm-hmm. so you know it's not surprising that we can all have you know very different different viewpoints on it so i think mm-hmm. i think that gets to the the reality of like the point of a democracy is not to create a world that you think is great like that no no the the point of a democracy is not to make progress however you define progress the point of a democracy is to resolve conflicts without the need for violence right like that then the more we drift from from recognizing that's the value of democracy and that will and the reality that we'll always have be surrounded with people with very different viewpoints from us uh I, i think i think that helps us tone down our anger and also helps reduce the very things that make us angry, right? It's like mm. the I think we, we it's not a, it's not understood how much our emotions, our anger, are the exact things that drive the extreme views that we don't like on the other side, right? It's like those are yeah. it's like they're feeding off of each other, right? The the, the uh, it, it's all it's all related. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's the the last bit you said there about democracy, I really I really like. It. I think I think unfortunately. Um, despite your best efforts to uh, to uh, make people realize this, it does feel like it's going very, very quickly in, in the direction we don't want it to, where people are saying democracy is here to create the world I want. And, and they have no interest in entertaining other people's ideas of what that world should look like. That That's what the direction it feels like we're going in very, very quickly. And you mentioned again, uh, I liked how you talk about objective and rational, reasonable people. Uh, you keep saying that. And I think... Um, I, I, that's really important because most people fall into that category. It's what we don't realize. Uh, but unfortunately, my, my opinion on this, I don't know if you agree, actually, I'll see if you do agree. I, I think there is a silent, very silent majority that fall into that category that because of the current climate we're in, um, this is why these extreme people, groups, whatever, are getting so much success and traction is because the, there's a silent majority that either can't or won't speak up probably because they're afraid because the second they speak up they're told you know by analyzing this situation you're a bigot by using logic you're you're disgusting um or you know and and it's again i i don't know if i'm just biased or if i'm only seeing it from one side maybe it's because i'm in the vegan world I, i just really see this coming heavily from one side of this divide now obviously the the and that's the the left side of it liberal side of it in our western um, world anyway. Um, and with the, the other side, I've seen bad things. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I've seen less of it. Uh, and I've seen, I've seen people stoke in the flames. Obviously I've seen that as well. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, what, what, yeah, what is your take on that? Do you agree about this kind of silent majority? Well, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, that, that is a basic polarization dynamic. I think the, right. uh, if you, uh, one interesting talk on this, one of my favorite talks, for my podcast was a pretty recent one I did with this group psychology researcher, uh, mm. polarization researcher, Matthew Hornsey. And, uh, you know, one of the things he said was, uh, you know, oftentimes we're more afraid of our own side than we are right. of the other side. And, and you know, that, that gets in back to the peer pressure. A lot of this stuff is about peer pressure, but the, the basic dynamics of polarization result in, a, in an, an exhausted majority, which is what, you know, there's like a, there's a study, I think it's called More in Common or Hidden Tribes, 
where they okay. they call it the exhausted majority of, of these people that are tired of all the 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 us versus them and divisive language mm-hmm. on both sides and they feel kind of like not a part they, they basically kind of drop out from the discussion right, right? and right. some of them stop voting and, and such uh and that and then when that happens you know and we and we can feel the same effects in our you know day-to-day lives like on facebook we might be afraid to criticize an idea on our side because we don't want to be you know banished from our community or, or get insulted and be yeah. thought to be you know the other so we we tend to like shut down criticism on our side and that allows mm-hmm. the the most uh the more extreme or more uh often the just the not even the more extreme on issues but the, the more extreme in the way they view the us versus them divides right like they have mm-hmm. more emotions about the divides not necessarily like extreme stances on the issues but i think yeah the more of us keep quiet and the, the more those voices take power right mm-hmm, uh and and that's one of the you know that's one of the main things i say in this book i'm working on is mm-hmm. uh making the argument that if we can see how these dynamics work we can uh we can see that one of the main ways that we combat them is being uh willing to criticize divisive and unreasonable behavior on our side like and that's the that's a key point like when i talk mm-hmm. to Matthew Hornsey about this. One of his key points is you look, we're, you're not going to change the other side. Like the other side is only changed from within They they mm-hmm. aren't all of our, all of our criticisms and shaming of them don't matter to them because they don't value our opinions. It just adds mm-hmm. to our divides. Right. So the main, you know, the main reason to focus on your side is, in a political conflict is because it's really the only group you can change. So you can bring down the angers and the extreme behaviors on both sides by focusing on your side. And that doesn't mean calling out people like in a rude way. It means like saying something like, Hey, look at, you know, which I often do. I'll go into these threads on Twitter and say like, can you see how the thing you just said, that's getting a million likes and shares. Can you see how this thing is adding to our divides, you know, by mm-hmm. basically painting all Trump supporters as white supremacists, you know, this, this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I think that's a key part of it, you know, but it also, it also gets back to why these things are so hard to combat because our mm-hmm. instinct when we're in a us versus them divide, our instinct is to not help the other side and how that manifests right. is us being afraid to criticize our own side. So it's like our instinct is completely wrong. Because our, our human instinct is to be like, we have to be quiet. We don't want to hurt our side. Uh, okay. I don't want to say anything that might help them. But that, that's exactly what drives the, the divides is like our, our increasingly shut down, uh, you know, scared to scared to say something uh, kind of approach. Mm-hmm. I get you. Yeah, you want you want to. I mean, what, intuitively, it feels better to want to be a united front and, and to not show cracks in the veneer. Right. Uh, but yeah. then the problem is then you, you never weed out the people, the problem makers, the troublemakers. If you do, if you don't, if you, if you're not willing to kind of show the cracks, uh, you're not, you're going to have these people causing a lot of problems that going unchecked. Right. Yeah. And there's actually really interesting research about this. Like I, this was, this was interesting. Cause it was, a, it was a, an idea that I came to on my own of thinking it through. And then Matthew Hornsey told me there was research about how, for example, in the uh, Israeli-Palestine conflict, mm-hmm. when they showed people uh, in-group uh, conflict, like from the other side, so if they showed Israelis like disagreements amongst the Palestinians about how mm-hmm. they should behave and like in-group criticisms of Palestinians criticizing other Palestinians and this kind of thing, the Israelis mm-hmm. became more understanding and less angry at the Palestinians. You know, mm-hmm. so and there's so there's research showing the the importance of this and i think uh yeah it's 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 just very under examined how how important that is yeah yeah i think i'd i'd like to see more information on that i guess i guess intuitively you'd expect that you know in a in a time of war or conflict that the other side would capitalize on the fact that oh, one yeah. side was arguing right you think yeah, yeah i have something something to say there too i was going to say uh, one interesting thing, counterintuitive thing I discovered or not discovered, but uh, I was cars or I was DMing on Twitter with somebody who's a pretty influential uh, contributor to like conservative news, like Fox News kind of appearances. And she didn't okay. want to go on record. But one of the things she said was, uh, 
the you know I wish I wish the conservatives were just as cohesive and and uh, together on issues as the liberals were. And I was like, what are you mm-hmm. talking about? Like, are you are you are you crazy? Like, you know, the, the perceptive the perception that liberals have is like we're always fighting amongst each other, and the and the conservatives are, are like the concerted front. And then right, th- that yeah. got me interested, so I started talking to other conservatives about that. And like, yeah, they're all like, yeah, the liberals are so good at getting together and aligning on things. And we're just always fighting amongst ourselves. And so that, that kind of gets to this, these stereotypes we have about the other right, side. Right. In, any, in any group conflict, we, the, the group psychology says that we will perceive our side as tremendously complex and nuanced and full of all these different voices. But we'll perceive the other side as this concerted, like uniform, monolithic group that's like coming to get us. And mm-hmm. they're all this, this, as bad as their worst group, right? Or right, as bad right. as their worst member. So it gets to these, you know, and that's really eye opening when I shared that on Twitter, like what she said, people were like, what the fuck is she talking about? You know, <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's I can funny. see I, it really gave me insight and like, yeah, that's exactly what group psychology research shows, you know, and, right, and, and we right. shouldn't be surprised by it. That's that's it's it's common sense, really. So, so one of the things you discussed with, was it Matthew Hornsey? Is that the name? I, I'm getting that right. Yeah, I listened to that podcast. And one of the things you discussed, with, I wanted to ask you about here, actually, it's, it's obviously it's relevant to everything we've already discussed. Um, he had this great anecdote about how he was researching uh, hydro, hydroxychloroquine, right? And then, um, and then all, then Trump also mentioned it. And then all of a sudden he was being accused of being some evil Trump supporter, even though he found out about it before. Trump, right? I found that that was quite funny. Uh, it became a proxy for ideology. Like people assumed his beliefs because of him saying, "Hey, here's a drug that might be useful." <laughs> it was uh, quite a funny story. Um, yeah, and, and he wasn't and, uh, to, to clarify in uh, case you he, he wasn't he wasn't researching himself, but maybe you okay. meant online research. But I mean, yeah, like just he, looking. Yeah, 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 yeah just exactly, looking around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. he was just he was just saying that it got demonized just because Trump right. said it, even right. though there was there was ongoing research about its effectiveness for COVID. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, and and he <laughs> and and then you guys mentioned that following uh, maybe following on from that or, or another point, you were talking about the. The, the kind of disinformation campaigns that go across social media, um, you know, that around the time of, of when COVID was, um, you know, kicking off, let's say, and, uh, you know, a couple of other things and people getting confused. And and you mentioned that there, there are campaigns that go out there to purposefully misinform people. So for, for whatever reason, political gain, whatever it is, right, could be anything, money, political gain, blah, blah, blah. And then it makes people mistrust the... Um, the people giving the information, the, the, the government the, or the health um, organizations or whatever. And, and, and I found that to be intriguing. And I wanted to ask you um, a pretty tough question, actually. Uh, so you said you, in your research for this book, you, you'd found these campaigns and you were able to define what they look like, right? These kind of, when they go out there to, to do a campaign to try and cause, make, they make a, you said, I think you said to make a scientific conclusion into a scientific debate. But but um, from my understanding, the both sides do this. Like actually, multiple there are multiple factors in this. Even the government side, um, they they also do campaigns to increase trust, uh, and also they lie. Like we both know, they lie with what they do with the food um, required, the food um, pyramids and whatever, the meat, dairy, eggs, um, things they've pushed in the past that have been shown to be you know they didn't know what they were doing, um, even with this recent thing with Pfizer refusing to release all of the information about the, um, you know, I won't say the word in case it gets in trouble, but you know, so, so it's, what I'm trying to say is like, it's, it's obvious there's divide when people don't know what the fuck is going on in your experience from your research. How do we, how do we even know who's telling the truth at any point? Yeah. I think it's a great question. I mean, I was actually just working on a chapter, like kind of a wrap up chapter for the book about this, where it's like, I think there is often, a misplaced emphasis on, uh, you know, what the what the right information is, or, or that we can determine what the right information is, or you know, a lot of, a lot of liberals will say things like, you know, the problem is this misinformation, and we need to correct this misinformation. But you know, that that leaves a lot of things out of the picture. Like, you know, obviously we're going to have a hard time uh, defining what the right narratives are because we can disagree so much. Like we, we clearly can disagree so much, even, even amongst, you know, say in the liberal group on things. Uh, so I think the, I think it points at a misplaced uh, emphasis on defining what the right or wrong narratives is. And I think to me, it's more about maybe we should try to get people to be equally skeptical of all the information, right? It's like, 
you know, so say, you know, like say I, I had a, I had a childhood friend who's a Trump supporter. And when I hung out with him, he was basically like, uh, I don't believe, you know, you can't tell what's true or false anymore. And so, you know, and I was like, well, where do you get for, you know, where do you get your ideas? He's like, well, just stuff people share on Facebook. And I'm like, well, you can't be like skeptical of, you know, the liberal leading mainstream media and like just absorb these other, you know, ideas uncritically. Like, I think, so I think that gets at the idea of like, well, skepticism is fine. Like you say, like governments are wrong. You know, they're just a bunch of people, right? Are, Are we really surprised that, that governments get stuff wrong. It's just a, it's just a bunch of people doing stuff and and having various motivations and to mm-hmm. save face or doing whatever they think is wrong or, or whatever they think is right, even if it's wrong. So it's like we focus too much on like you know casting blame and like de- deciding what the right narratives are. But we, I think we should just you know foster an environment of like being skeptical of it all. You know, it's like I'm not you know, and if we did that, we wouldn't have people like taking a ta- taking a framing they saw in one newspaper or TV show and then running with it as if it's the truth mm-hmm. or something, you know, it's like <laughs> the, the, we, we would have an environment where people would be like, Oh, I'm going to take that with a grain of salt and maybe I'll balance it out by reading something somewhere else and, and try to reach a more nuanced perspective on it. You know, if we, if we mm-hmm. foster an environment where, you know, skepticism was a good thing and not like, mm-hmm. Hey, believe this stuff over here. Cause it's right. You know, uh, so I think that yeah. I think that helps resolve it a little bit in the sense that like that's an yeah. argument that I think could be persuasive to to people on both sides and mm-hmm. uh, ju- just you know be more skeptical of it all and then like you know why why do we have to feel the need to reach the the right conclusion immediately you know a lot of times there's mm-hmm. this like we 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 have to know what it is right now it's like well why don't you just right. wait a week or two until things settle down it's like why why do you have to figure it out and, and be outraged about whatever it is right now you know let's like let's let's let the smoke settle a little bit and see you know who the bad guys were exactly <laughs> yeah uh, yeah yeah i think that's fair that makes it makes sense especially the bit you talked about you know you hear one thing then okay try and balance it out search for the opposite uh, i try to do that quite a lot when when a, a conservative or a liberal you know either side or whatever i don't sometimes i don't even know who they are I just see something and pops up and i'm like oh that annoys me or or i actually think i agree with that but you know that's that can't be what it that can't be it i have to go and look for the alternative you got to go find the other side and then see all right i've got both sides i'm I, and, and yeah you do become on the one so i agree with you 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 start to feel a bit less angry or, or less and <laughs> worked up about the other thing once you realize there's another side to the story and it might still be very bad but it's not as bad as it was and that does really I, help. I will say too, one thing that might address some of your uh, points about, you know, sure. seeing more uh, problems on the on the liberal side. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think one of the things there is that you know, liberal liberal philosophy and, and, and arguments, you know, are the predominant force in the Western world, right? They've they've yeah. dominated universities, they've dominated uh, you know media, news media, main, mainstream entertainment media. Uh, so I think, you know, that, that can help explain why a lot of the, you know, some of the, some of the framings that we may disagree with, uh, that, that we can find them so, uh, frustrating, right. It's because Mm -hmm. they're on it, the, the, the domination of the culture, uh, the predominance in the culture leads to people just not being aware of what the conservative arguments are, right. Like of, Mm -hmm. or, or, or just arguments in general that question some of these, some of these major narratives. And, and I think the, so that there is this real imbalance in, in power in the, in the, in the culture wars, you know, which is part of what drives mm. conservative frustration and anger is like, they yeah. feel like they are the underdog. Right. Uh, but I think it helps explain why it can be, you know, there can be this imbalance of like so many people just not even being aware of what the conservative arguments are a lot of times and, and what the, what the better conservative arguments are. Sure. And, and research shows this too. Like if you look at research on, uh, you know, conservatives understand liberals, uh, liberals thoughts more than liberals understand conservative mm-hmm. conservatives thoughts that's shown in books like, you know, Jonathan Heights, the righteous mind and, and in other research uh, and then it it, show, it it shows that in in uh, surveys that where conservatives say they don't feel like they're misunderstood by you know mainstream or, or they don't feel like they're like they're understood by mainstream liberal leaning uh, you know outlets. But you know, mm-hmm. so conservatives are always consuming liberal ideas, but but liberals are are seldom consuming conservative ideas. And I think that helps yeah. explain why there can be an imbalance of like 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of the conservatives I've talked to for research for my book will have a good understanding of what liberal arguments are. And I, I think that's mm. often not the case on, on the reverse. Right. You know? uh, yeah. 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 No, I understand. That's probably linked in with what I said earlier about mostly liberals refusing to engage or debate somebody on the other side. Well, obviously, they don't, that, they're not going to understand what the other side thinks and believes if they refuse to interact with them other than just trying to, um, you know, attack them. Uh, so what let's 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 close off on something quite practical, actually. So let's say there's somebody watching right now who uh, are listening, who absolutely despises the other side with every inch of them with all their heart what what advice would you give them to uh to kind of practical advice i mean what can they do today to to fix that and and you know i don't know get maybe get rid of the hatred and work towards a more productive solution for for whoever they hate you know and, and trying to figure something out what do you think practically they could do yeah that's a good it's a good question uh, i would say I would say if, if someone really does have an interest and in they, there, there's plenty of books out there on American depolarization. Uh, I would say, listen to my, my podcast too. Like, cause I feel like the argument I make, I'm making in my book is, you know, we, we really can't rely on these big institutions because the big institutions are part of what polarizes, mm. right? Like the, mm. the media, the, you know, the politicians, like it's all human nature and, and you know, it's not the, it's not to really cast blame on them because in many ways it's out of their control. Like the more, this more, the more dynamic us versus them energy and, and, and emotions that uh, society has, however it grows manifests as creating more polarizing uh, us versus them leaders, more polarized media right. producers. You know? yeah. yeah. So the, yeah, the institutions are, are part of, you know, what drive the divides. We, we end up the, the us versus them energy in our, in our group, the emotions, Ample, uh, give give the wind to the sails of the more polarizing people in the in the media and the and the political leaders. Uh, so I think it, you know we need to recognize part of the solution is recognizing that I think in order to change things, we have to focus more on ourselves as promoting a narrative of like we need to get more regular citizens basically seeing the problems. And if you can get because we need to tone down basically the the us versus them unreasonable forms of us versus them anger in our, in our own hearts and our own minds. Mm -hmm. And the more of us do that, you know, so it's basically needs to be more of a grassroots approach in my opinion. And, and the more that people do that, the more people who are influential, you know, who have more influence will also mm -hmm. see those problems. It's just like the more we talk about it in general, but I would okay. say, you know, if people, if people are interested in that, like if they have a lot of anger mm -hmm. at the other side, I would say, you know, a listen to some of the, the episodes of my podcast, which, I think uh, are a good way in. And, mm -hmm. you know, th there are depolarization books, um, you know, for example, like on the liberal side, there's a great book called Beyond Contempt. And that's by a very progressive, uh, very liberal woman who er Erica Edelson, who came to realize that a lot of the, 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 the cont contributions to our divides came from the liberal side. Right. And there, there's right. people on the conservative side that write about that too. Mm. I know somebody actually writing a book, right now, who's, you know, kind of like the conservative version of me, but, and he's very interested in depolarization and he's right. going to, he's going to talk about different things, right. But he's going to have the same basic ideas of like how our distorted and, and overly us versus them animosity is, is creating the very mm -hmm. things we're angry about that kind of thing. Uh, so I think that the, the work is out there for people on both sides of any divide, you know, and, uh, there's even like, you know, just general, uh, writings about how polarization, you know, I think part of it is realizing how common this is across the world, because we tend to be so focused on our specific, you know, countries divides. Mm -hmm. And, and we, yep. we tend to think like, it's all about these specific issues, right? The issues mm -hmm. are very important, but I mean, the issues are, are often just the manifestations of our emotions because the more emotions we have, the harder lined our, our stances get, the less willing we're willing to negotiate. So it's like, a lot of times this and the emotion is, is what's driving the, the, the very things we're, we're angry about. Yeah. That's great. I, th I think it's great advice to, to check out your podcast as it's, it is, it is your entire focus. So if somebody is going through these emotions and then having these problems that we've discussed and that, that would be a really good place to start. And what, what could you tell us again, the name of the podcast? And obviously it'll be in the link in the, uh, in the, I suppose I'll put it in the pinned comment. That'll be the, 
do you want that to be like the primary thing people come to or would you rather want they want twitter or no no yeah yeah the, the podcast is great and great. yeah thanks for doing that it's uh it's called the people uh, it's called people who read people is the, is the name of the podcast great. and uh it's not only focused on polarization it's also focused on like kind of some practical you know reading behavior kind of stuff uh, of various sorts right. Uh, right. but, and I do have on my website on, uh, the, the website is behavior-podcast.com. And, uh, I have a compilation of the politics related episodes there, the, the polarization related episodes. So yeah. Perfect. Great. And, and people can find you on Twitter where it's at a poker player, right? Yeah. A poker player. Yeah. Cool. At a poker player, which is a, yeah. which is a, when did you get that? When did you start Twitter? It was like 2010, I think. And I think oh. some people thought, yeah, some people thought it sounded kind of pretentious or something but i was like hey i started it was like hey i'm just a poker player that was how i, how I thought of it <laughs> it's a good one because uh, it's uh, that you know it's uh i guess you could probably sell that for quite a bit hey, maybe <laughs> if twitter maybe keeps growing yeah, yeah 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 i've been trying to get at david rams i keep checking someone else has got it inactive account and it's just been like that for for years it's, it's such a, so i have to go for it oh so it's just david gone rams. it's just gone and somebody just has it but not using oh. it no, they're right. The account's right there. Oh, it's open oh, okay. and they have it. There's David um, Ramos and uh, the guy just isn't, is just not active. He's, he's never posted oh, gotcha. anything, no profile pic. So, oh. so it's a nightmare. But um, no, great. It was great to have you here, mate. Really appreciate this. This was um, very useful information for, for all of us and especially with everything we've discussed and how bad it is and how this division seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. It's good to have some someone working on it. When can we expect the book? Do you have a, do you have a date for that? Yeah, it'll be, uh, well, hopefully it'll be by like early February. And uh, cool. for people who are interested, if you sign up for a one year subscription to my podcast right now for a limited time, you get a free, well, American American subscribers, I should say, okay. get a free uh, paperback mail to them. So you can, you, cool. if anybody's interested in that in America, you can uh, check that out. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot, David. I appreciate the opportunity and, and thanks for thanks for that.